give you work in, in the sport long long enough, you know, you're likely to use your job but lose your job, but it's not always a reflection of your competence. You know, you know, I've seen people good good staff who who have been moved on at other clubs um because the manager's bringing in an individual that that clashes with them, you know, whether that be analyst, whether it be a physio, whether it be a fitness coach and you know, they were club appointments and they were removed from their role because the manager had someone else to do their their job. Now they'd done a really good job prior to that. They weren't getting sat they weren't getting released because of their competence. They were just getting released because that's the industry, rightly or wrongly. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. On this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Jordan Milsom. And Jordan, when I asked him for his job title, it was former head of performance. I think it's definitely more than that, but he has been a head of performance at Rangers Football Club and Aston Villa Football Club and is known for his relationship with Steven Gerrard and will hopefully be in a job soon, no doubt. But in this episode, we dive into the inner workings of a performance department, whether you're a manager's member of staff and you're dealing with club staff or you're a member of the club staff like Jordan was at Liverpool and dealing with the manager's staff, sometimes who are foreign, sometimes who are English and, and just dealing with that whole dynamic then we have a very difficult, especially from my point of view, chat around what it's like to be sacked. When you talk to especially heads of performance and heads of department, it's almost a given that at some point they're going to get sacked, but we never talk about it. So on this episode, Jordan was open enough and humble enough to be able to talk about what it's like to be sacked. So that's the last 10 or 15 minutes of this episode, but one I was really excited to get and discuss because it isn't really discussed, but it's a reality of what the industry that we work in. So over to Jordan. It'll be a great episode for you to listen to no matter what level of sport you're working in. Over to Jordan. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics Force Plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating Force Plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics Force Plate system in action, head over to their website hawkingdynamics.com to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. Also sponsoring this episode is Play. Play is the leader in high-performance athletic flooring and strength equipment globally. So with offices in the US, Australia and the UK, Play provides an end-to-end experience by collaborating with organizations through their own proprietary formula to create world-class environments for coaches and athletes. Play's Achieve 18mm Rubber and Attack Turf have been at the cornerstone of elite training facilities for now over a decade with the addition of the new Icon X rack range. Play are once again set to elevate the industry. 
On the 23rd of April 2022, Play will be hosting their first UK lab of the year in collaboration with Loughborough University. Play will be joined by some exceptional speakers from elite sport, industry and academia with a huge breadth of knowledge and experience. Listeners and supporters of Pace Performance Podcast are able to obtain an exclusive 20% discount using the code SPORTSMITH20 when registering at playacademy.com forward slash play hyphen labs hyphen Loughborough. So without further ado, over to the episode with Jordan. Jordan Milsom, welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, thanks. thanks for inviting me, Rob. Most appreciated. My pleasure. It's good to finally get you on. Anyone doesn't know who you are, Jordan. It has, mate. It has. You're a busy man. Very busy man. But anyone that doesn't know who you are, would you mind just giving us a brief bio about you? Previous jobs? What are you doing now? Uh, Previous jobs. So started, I've got a 17, 18-year career in football. So a one-sport man. Uh, Started off at Oxford United in 2005. Um, whilst Jim Smith was was in charge uh, at the time, they were currently in you know, uh, the football conference, and over you know that period of time, I quite quickly moved from Oxford to Swindon. Spent a bit of time out in China working for Sheffield United's affiliated club Chengdu Blades. Uh, back to Oxford United, uh, from Oxford to Leicester City during um, the time that they were in League One and we went up into the Championship and then nar- narrowly missed out on Premier League uh, via the playoffs. And in 2010, I left Leicester to join Liverpool in a rehabilitation fitness role um, and spent eight years there under four managers, I think it was. Um, and then left Liverpool in 2018 to go and with Stephen uh, Glasgow Rangers for three and a half years and then spent 12 months back in the Premier League with, with Aston Villa and presently I am not working and enjoying some time with the family after an extensive period of working and enjoying the things that you don't often get uh, the chance to enjoy when you're you know, full throttle in football. I think there's going to be loads of things that we're going to chat about that I probably haven't spoken to many people about or any people about when it comes to the podcast. So I'm really excited to get into the, your career, your experiences, your experiences as, a, as a, a manager's guy, experiences moving from an S, from a, a rehab role to a head of performance and loads of stuff. But you mentioned there you're one sport guy. Has there any, been any desire, any opportunities, any wants from your end to delve into another sport or you've just been solely football interested and there has been opportunities at different points um, potentially basketball um, AFL you know the, the chance to work with Darren Burgess again but just family circumstances probably put pay to that and then at the time I was at Liverpool and it was you know Liverpool was my boy old club it was everything I'd ever wanted you know never envisaged to get the opportunity to work there so when you are there it's, it's difficult to, to take yourself away from that voluntarily um, and take the plunge for something that you know at times didn't feel overly right and I also feel that there's a lot of value in just being a one 
club or the one sport individual as well. I think you learn a lot in, in other ways and, and the game has clearly changed over, you know, two decades. Not the same sport almost. So you are ever learning, forever learning. I suppose there's advantages of, you know, being multi sport and single sport and in all sports. But, you know, for me, the opportunities have been there to some extent, but you just never felt that they were, you know, the right time or, or the right moment. It's been it's become quite a um a common thing now, hasn't it? Probably ten years ago it was people in football were from football, but now you've got people like the FA who were actively recruiting people outside of football for whatever reason, good, bad or indifferent. It's interesting that how that will go and if it's still going to be very much a mix. But you've got people like yourself who are who have been kind of football all the way through. But yeah, it's an interesting one. But from your perspective, going from S&C coach down the rehab route, and the rehab is all often something that's bolted on to an S&C coach's role, especially in smaller clubs when you're doing multiple jobs. But why was it the rehab role that, what was the, the rehab role that interested you to kind of pursue that that line? Um, well, when I first got my job at Liverpool, it was it was initially a sports scientist role. When I seen the the job spec, you know, it didn't light me up inside to be honest. But it was Liverpool, and you know, there was that's what lit me up. So I thought, you know, the opportunity to get in at Liverpool, and naturally, just the way football is, that the role will evolve somewhat, you know, over time. Um, but the main thing was just just getting in. And I didn't think it was going to evolve as quickly as it did, but um, at the time they had a a role advertised for strength and rehabilitation fitness coach, which I didn't know about. It was just it was almost a done deal, I believe, through uh, contacts and that Peter Bruckner, Darren Burgess, Phil Coles had, had probably had in Australia. So uh, there was a guy who was due to come over, but he had an issue with with visa complications or, or some issue and he couldn't come and over the first month of, of working with Darren I had to perform you know sports scientist role and I had to largely perform the, the rehab role as well as the strength and conditioning role so it was quite a full-on role um, but you know that was you know pretty much doing a lot of those activities anyway in all my previous roles so other than you know probably the early and late stage rehab um, and then Darren essentially just said, look, there's there's going to be an opportunity. The guy who was meant to come can come. Um, would you be interested in the role? And I was like, well, it was a, if it was a toss-up between the two roles, I'd have took the rehab, strength and rehab role anyway because I had a real keen interest in strength and conditioning um, over the early part of my career. And, and clearly, you know, fitness is a, is a key element of a fitness coach's role as well. So, um, you know, trying to understand like rehab in that setting as well was was, was probably quite novel back then um, and, and it really excited me so quite quickly my job spec changed and I was found myself as strength and rehabilitation fitness coach which was which was great and this is where you got close to Stephen during injuries when he was out of the game a combination because the role was was pretty much like lead S and C coach. Um, so you were working with the squad, you know, on you know health and performance. Um, but then I was also working rehabilitation, and 
it wasn't until probably a few years into that role that we kind of chopped it up a little bit because the role was just too big, you know, to be a, like a full-time S&C coach and, and work with 20-plus players when you're essentially on your own for year one. And then couple that with, you know, almost being, you know, at any club you would probably have two, three, four physios that would look after injured players. Um, now, granted, they're doing bed-based stuff along with, you know, pitch and, and gym. But, you know, the, the rehab role for me is it, it was, you know, every little bit of exercise essentially that the player was doing was, was part of my remit. So coupling that with an S&C role, which is looking after the team performance, was quite extensive. So I had um, a combination of experiences. I had a combination of just kind of develop performance with all the players, but Stephen being one of them. And then, you know, due to, you know, due to the nature, you know, I, I spent times in, in rehab with him. When I joined Liverpool, Stephen was on the, you know, the other side of 30. I think he was 30, 31. So, you know, maybe a little bit more prone to injury, a few miles on the clock. Um, so, yeah, there were certainly times that I had to spend with him. You know, some of them were, were probably easier than others. Um, but you know, I wouldn't change that because they were all great, you know, great experiences and, and great learning curves. There's probably a lot of SNC coaches. Well, hopefully, there's a lot of SNC coaches listening to this that have got that rehab side of the role. And let's be honest, there's not many Liverpool's or Man United's or Man City's knocking around where there's five physios and there's three rehabbers and there's four SNC coaches. Predominantly, SNC coaches are probably doing the nutrition. They're doing the rehab where were you going like you said at the time it was quite a novel role and there's still people in that kind of mindset with it one man band type of situations where were you going when it comes to the education to upskill yourself as an i know you're doing the rehab before you went to Liverpool, but where were you going for your education because there's clearly gaps from an snc coach in this side so where were you going um when i started you know, started working in football, I would say, you know, probably from around my Leicester City days, I, I really tried to evolve my, my understanding of strength and conditioning in, in football or, you know, sport in general. Um, so I spent a lot of time with Alex Martin, who was at the time, I think he was head of performance at uh, Leicester Tigers, currently at Bath, um, Bath Rugby. And he was such a, an out-the-box thinker when it comes to strength and power development, I felt. Um, so we had a lot of sharing of ideas, but um, clearly Alex had a, a greater depth of knowledge and experience in, in that space than I did because probably one of his age and two, his background and, and the fact that you know there was more emphasis on, on strength and power development in rugby than potentially there was in football. Um, Tristan Bevan was another person back then. He was at the Cardiff Blues. He's been on a bit of a journey since, but he's back at Cardiff Blues. You know, he was someone else who was doing a lot of innovative work around SNC. Um, and Rob Newton, we had an affiliation through Paul Balsam, who was my boss at, at Leicester, who again was a great, a great individual for challenging, you know, status quo and how you thought, you know, about things and. And under, you know, having a rationale for for why you're doing what you're doing, but he was, he was another person who was was really innovative. I thought back then, so those individuals, I felt it was, 
a great opportunity to learn from people who've done, you know, similar type roles um, in other sports. So I spent a lot of time basically picking their brains, I would say, over over a number of years. And, and that kind of shaped a little bit of my S&C philosophy um, and how I would develop you know, or, or focus on certain ways of, of developing players and performance. Um, you know, from that, moved into Liverpool and then was... You now, I wouldn't say there was any any textbooks per se. You know, I, I was... I went through UKSCA, um, CSCS, which was many years ago. I didn't actually complete my UKSCA in the end. Um, ended up doing CSCS, um, you know, bases accreditation, and then just learning from people in, in Liverpool's environment. There was a lot of outstanding physios there. You know, when you socially immerse yourself in their environment, you, you learn a lot, you know, you... you wouldn't say you become an expert, but you you do learn a lot from from conversations and just being you know present around those people, watching watching and observing things. So, um, a lot of my learning has come from other people, not necessarily from textbooks. Just observing. Um, there's obviously been elements of reading I've done. <laughs> you know, an undergraduate, a master's, a, a professional doctorate. There's there's clearly been you know underpinnings of learning there, but you know, just observing practitioners and, and all the different ways that people operate because, you know, that's that's the beauty of it. There's just so many skills and so many different ways that you can achieve success, I believe, and, and successful programs. And it's about kind of being selective and taking out the key things that you you really think are valuable and, and piecing them all together. I think that's probably a good, su- <clears throat> excuse me, that's pretty good summary of what, so many people have said when it comes on the podcast when it comes to that rehab side of an SNC coach's role, it's just immersion with physios and other rehabbers rather than traditional routes because there isn't really a traditional route. It's almost just learning on the job to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think from an SNC standpoint, it's probably a little bit more. Um, I wouldn't say simplistic, but. There's less chaos in that environment, you know. So um, the pitch stuff, I think, is, is a bit can be a little bit more complex. Um, and you know, again, there's different ways of, of skinning cats and, and achieving success. Um, you know, Matt Tabern has been, you know, published some really wonderful work around the um, continuing chaos or chaos you know, continuing um, or control to chaos, should I say? Um, but again, you know, my, my philosophy on, on rehab was tried to be quite simple with it. You know, you go from slow to fast, from easy to complex, you know, you know, this from, you know, build volume up sensibly, build intensity up sensibly without going into all these different GPS markets, just being very, you know, simple in your approach of, you know, you've got to build volume progressively. You've got to build intensity progressively. You know the complexity of that evolves over you know the course of the rehabilitation, and I was very much orientated around you know using the ball you know and and trying to elicit everything through through football type activities, you know manipulating spaces and you know intensive extensive all that stuff which which we all know of but um didn't 
feel the need to go super detailed into things, but you should be really, really good at the basics. Um, and you know, and plan, deliver, and evaluate really effectively, uh, and communicate that with with the other stakeholders. Gone through the transition from kind of SNC coach to to rehab, but the next transition was the head of performance. Was when you were at Liverpool, was that always the the route that you wanted to go, or was did did that kind of just happen as career happened and relationships happened and opportunities <clears throat> happened? Well, I think over the first kind of five years of my career, I was what you you know. Term a fitness coach, you know, at the time there was generally only one of them per club. You know, you might start to evolve with, with some interns and maybe an SNC coach, but generally it was a one man band for the first kind of five years. Um, so you're doing a bit of everything. I then go to Liverpool where you're part of a team of 15, you know, and I'm in this specialist role. <clears throat> um, but I always had touching points with. One, the performance side of it through the SNC role, and then two, under different managers, there was a bit more exposure with um, you know, on a day to day basis around around training. So there was a time when when Ryla Morgan's was there. You know, we used to go on international duty with Wales, so I'd end up covering a lot of the you know the training groups during that period of time because I was one. I'd been there for a period of time myself and. I was probably the most senior staff member. Um, so I ended up finding myself looking after those elements of it. You know, when there's um, leftover players for, for games, you know, taking you know, the, 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 that group of players on, you know, on a Saturday or a Sunday morning for, for some content, you know, can, can be quite challenging that for some people. So, you know, it's, it's not an easy role to, you know, have to take, you know, a number of players who aren't in the squad. But, Always felt that I had a decent enough relationship with, with players, and they understood the you know the situation that I and they were in, and you know everyone's professional, so they do what they need to do. Um, so I always had kind of one hand on that anyway, um, and was exposed to that performance side of it. Um, I watched a lot of different people kind of come and go, you know, from Darren Burgess, Glenn Driscoll, Ryland to some extent, who was kind of working under or alongside Glenn um, <clears throat> and then one of the Andreas who came in in my second, or my second season at Jürgen um, so I just watched and observed how a lot of those individuals worked and you know at different moments felt that I could contribute and help and probably at other moments felt there's things that I probably wouldn't have done if I was in that position so I, I wouldn't say I naturally wanted to progress into that role but if the opportunity came, then, you know, I'd I, I consider it. Um, I didn't envisage it to come about in the way it did through, you know, Stephen getting into coaching. But at that moment, it just felt right. I'd, I'd done eight years at Liverpool. You know, he was, he was on a journey to be a manager and to work alongside someone who I had, you know, a good relationship with as a, from a, a personal and professional standpoint in a different capacity, you know, to work alongside him and be a part of his management team. I always, you know, it was it was difficult to say no to. And I'd seen a couple of managers come with their staff 
and and it is different, you know, being a manager's man to being a club man. It's different. It comes with different perks. It comes with different challenges as well. But when it goes well, it can be really, really um, rewarding and feel really valuable. How did you cope with it, dealing with um, men, managers' men, like who were brought in by whether they were foreign or English, but brought in directly by the manager as a club man? We'll flip that in a minute because obviously you became that manager's man. But how did you deal with that? Um, well, when when Brendan came in, he brought Glenn. And, and Glenn had a really interesting background. He was a physio initially. Oh, sorry, he was a sports scientist initially and, and then had a, a physio degree. One or the other way around. But he had a really good understanding of both areas. Um, and I felt when he came into that role, because he had such a good understanding of one being a physio and, and the medical element of, or the the medical side of things, coupled with the fact that he come from a, also from a sports science background, and two he he knew his he knew his model, he knew the way the manager worked, they had their methodology, and he was really confident and comfortable in, in in how that would be delivered so you know we always knew what training was going to look like um which is can be really valuable you know he he had a really good understanding of of performance and and medical um and i admired glenn for that i thought he he did that role really well um and because he was the manager's man it, it all ran a little bit more smoother than you know, maybe some other um, experiences had. He was English as well, so there's there's that side of things. Maybe, maybe that might help. Maybe when you get foreign staff, there's you know the language might be a bit of a challenge. Their the perceptions or their biases towards how you train, whether that be on the pitch or the gym, you know, is, is potentially different, and you know, can be. Um, I wouldn't say confrontational, but you know, can can almost be a little bit, a little bit out there at times, or can feel like that to us. They they, you know, they them individuals could probably feel like it's the opposite way around as well. You know, so I've, I've definitely been in that position where, um, the boots being on the other foot. So I understand where they're coming from in that sense. But you know, some experiences are, are easier than others, um, and and some challenge. You know, there's some. Ex- extra challenges that might exist um, potentially with foreign staff or in my experiences potentially with foreign staff but they're all you know they're all really good experiences and and once you then um, move across into that space and and, and, you know the boots on the other foot then you kind of understand why people uh, have been the way they've been and you know I was certainly guilty of of maybe not seeing you know their position or seeing it through their lens and, and being more biased towards my own lens. And, and when, when the shoe's on the other foot, you, you know, it's certainly, um, you know, a, a different challenge and you respect that a little bit more. There are many S&C coaches and physios probably who think of the head of performance as the kind of pinnacle of where they want to get to. But in terms of your transition to a head of performance, what areas, when you, when you got there at Rangers, what areas were you underprepared in? Because I'm guessing you get in there and it's a new club. 
it's a new environment, it's a new role, new expectations, you're thinking, ooh, I wasn't expecting this, or I wish I could be more up to date on this area. What what were those areas that you were underprepared? No, the only reason I'm asking that is for to maybe allow people to go, okay, Jordan identified that. Maybe I could plug that gap in my own knowledge and experience for when I make that transition. Um, yeah, that's a great question, Rob. Um, and it's definitely, in, in my experience, there's, there's certainly facets of the role that I was underprepared for. You know, so just simply just leading people. You know, I've never led people before. Um, I've been a when I was coming through early in, early in my career and I was in kind of that, that head role, but there was no one to manage. I didn't have any staff, you know, you know, you might get one intern here or there. So there was, you know, there's no one to manage. And then you move into the role at Liverpool. You're very much in the detail of everything every day. It's, it's a very, you know, the micro details of, of the job. Um, you're amazed in that. And, you know, you're working as part of an MDT and just, facilitating information more laterally and upwards um you know and I'm, I'm not really managing anyone so then you know going to rangers and you know the club's vision was to be the number one team in scotland within i think it was three to four years and when when we went in and had a little bit of a needs analysis and look around well how was i going to help support that process well we needed to to beef out the staff we needed more staff um to perform you know, the roles that were going to be needed to, to support the players, to give ourselves the best chance of being, you know, successful. So we had to go from a department of, I think it was five to, to 15 in the end, over, over three years. Um, but in terms of being underprepared, you know, you've got to leave people, you know, people, power and politics, uh, you know, it can be really challenging. So, um, you know, I've inherited... I've gone from not working really with anyone or managing anyone to then inheriting, recruiting, developing and managing staff. You know, and that's a skill. Um, I remember David Joyce talking about it a little bit. Um, you just find yourself in these roles because you're either the longest serving staff member or you were really good potentially in a particular area. And as a consequence, you naturally just find yourself leading the department and then you you come away from all the tasks that you were probably really good at, you know, and I was very much a micro detail person. I was, you know, in in my role, focused on rehab, planning, delivering, evaluating on this cycle and making sure that was really well, you know, even though I said I'm a bit of a, you know, come at it from a, a bit of a basic perspective, it was just making sure that was done really well and really thorough. And now you're almost in the telescope and you're managing you know, 15 people and you've got to step back and you're you're not in that micro detail every day. You're, you're more across a multitude of areas and, you know, it can, it can be challenging and that. You know, I was definitely not prepared for that. I, I had skills, you know, I think I'm quite, you know, quite an understanding person, you know, can, can relate to people, can relate to situations, but it's definitely a challenge when you've got to, you know, manage people from the age of 18 to 60 <laughs> from different domains, from sports science, S&C, doctors, physios, you know, even physio departments where a person's been there for six months versus 16 years, you know, they know the club inside out. It's, you know, it's it's definitely difficult. Um, So I'd say that was an area that I was 
probably a bit underprepared for. But I think going in with the manager gives you a level of credibility. I think your background gave me a little bit of credibility. Um, I definitely think that my experience of being a of being a rehab fitness coach and sitting in the camp of you know doctors, physios, different medics, SNC fitness, you know, sitting in all those camps for you know eight years really helped me when it comes to uh, supporting those individuals or holding competent conversations with, with those individuals or those groups. Um, but yeah, probably more the the leadership and strategic thinking and managing of people were, were probably the, the areas that I was underprepared for. And I would suggest anyone who is going to go into any of those roles is... If you want to stay one step ahead, probably immerse yourselves in in those areas. I think it's a bit more natural now. I think it is happening a little bit more. This was, you know, kind of five years ago for me, but it's probably is happening a little bit more. But if you have aspirations of moving into those areas, then I think you should uh, get the ball rolling and and immerse yourself in in some of those environments or on some of those courses or speaking to people who perform those roles, whether it be uh, clubs or organisations, you know, sport or business. I think there's loads of value in, in, in different sectors. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Jordan. Hope you enjoyed part one. So over in part two, we discuss lots of things, but particularly what it's like to be the manager's guy. So flipped from part one. And then also what it's like to be sacked. It's a, It's almost a given when you're at this level of, high-performance sport so what's it really like and how can you mitigate the risks that come with these kind of jobs so really interesting part two coming up this episode of the pacey performance podcast is sponsored by kitman labs Kitman Labs is sport's first technology company to offer a complete solution that includes innovative analytics and an advanced athlete management platform that is supported by a team of sports, technology and data science experts with over 200 years experience. Kitman Labs is leading the evolution of sports performance, partnering with over 150 elite teams across the NFL, NHL, MLB, AFL, EPL, and Championship Rugby. Through advanced statistical analysis, rigorous scientific research, and unparalleled industry experience, they've architected the world's only analytics platform that helps sports teams to truly harness their data and uncover the influences behind performance optimization and injury risk. To find out more about Kitman Labs, visit kitmanlabs.com or follow them on social media at Kitman Labs. This episode is also sponsored by Team Builder. Team Builder is a software for performance coaches around the world. The powerhouse platform increases efficiency, saves paper, and can handle any type of programming. It's the perfect fit for professional and academy teams, performance institutes, schools, and universities. Team Builder is full of tools that help coaches' needs. Multiple max tracking methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting, just to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with Team Builder's in house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with promo code SPORTSMITH to start your 30 day free trial. And now back to the episode with Jordan. You said it gave you the credibility of being associated with the manager. 
but did it also bring some skepticism as well? Like maybe like you'd had on the flip side when the manager's guy came in, like this this guy could potentially just come and go. Like he could get another club, oh, he yeah, disappears, yeah, we're all staying here. How, how do you deal with mm-hmm. that? I think at Rangers it was a bit different because we didn't really have, you know, the the staffing in place and you know the club the club was desperate to just become what it was you know so there was a I think Stephen galvanized the whole club and everyone just kind of got on the journey you know there were certainly bumps along the way and, and potentially doubts and you know tough times and tough conversations at certain points but there was definitely um it was easier I think when you're going into the Premier League so turbulent, you know. Um, there's a lot of good people who work in the Premier League, but there's also at times you, you've got to build relationships and 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 sometimes to change processes and practices and and get the the method and the processes across that you want takes time. You don't always get that, and sometimes practitioners, you know, if they you know want to be, could be you know slowing the uptake or slowing the development for that and. It could, you know, yeah, you know, you're only ever a few games away from from the sack, so you know, if you know, it can be a bit more chance, and definitely a little bit of that, like without a doubt. I mean, people will probably think it's it's all, you know, sunshine, but it's not. You know, there's there's a lot of complexities, there's a lot of difficulties. It's certainly not just a a linear trajectory and, and path of of progress. You know, there's. There's a lot of complexities and bumps along the way there, and and I think one of those things of the the inherent volatility of the sport can can impact on your ability to actually put the processes in place that you might want, or or go down the, the avenue that you you know the coaches and the manager and you believe are, are the right ways to go. So with this upskilling. Are ideally upskilling in the leadership and the management side. What in your from your personal experience is de-skilled? Was there any de-skilling going on? Have you found that since leaving Villa that you think, oh, oh wow, I haven't read a journal on ACLs for five years or whatever it is. You, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I think definitely my my read material changed. Um, yeah, for sure, <laughs> and it can be a bit of a um, a kick to the to the ego, if you want to call it that. Yeah, you you used to being really knowledgeable in a particular area, and then you've got to broaden your horizons and be a bit more holistic again and learn new skills. And then naturally, as a consequence of that, you become a little bit maybe behind the times. And there's things that we tried to do to stay on top of that. You know, around putting time aside to to learn certain things or or collectively focusing on topics and then people, you know, feeding them back at different moments. So we're all kind of, you know, in the loop for, for some, you know, whether that be a little journal club or some description, but you know, those types of, those types of themes. Um, hands on wise, I'd say I, um, I wouldn't say de-skilled per se, but you know, you, you become a little bit rusty and you now in terms of, delivering in the gym because you're not necess- necessarily doing that every day um you know so they they were things that naturally just de-skilled or 
got a bit rusty because I've put in a lot of time into trying to develop other areas that were potentially a bit more important for the role I was in at that moment. You know, since coming out, I've had the, the beauty of being able to have more time. And that time I've tried to uh, spend probably more around leadership, strategic thinking, culture development, all that. Um, focusing, you know, I've been doing some online business courses through Oxford Uni, uh, which has been really beneficial and helpful. Um, whilst also spending a little bit of time on, on some of those simple principles and, you know, getting back into physiology and, and biomechanics um, and anatomy. And then I've spent the last three months working at R4P as, as a bit of a rehab conditioner again. So, you know, working with technologies that I've not seen for a while or different types of technologies, um, working with different types of athletes of, of different levels and, and individuals of different shapes and sizes that, you know, you don't necessarily always see in football. So that's been really good. And then working with Mac on a Pinsky again, who's, you know, outstanding and, laying off him every day so it's been it's been nice to sharpen my sword again somewhat in, in that area so yeah like anything I think you, you can't be an expert in everything and you have to accept that and you know I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable with that um, but I also understand and I'm, I have the, the mindset of wanting to grow and I've I felt like the areas that I needed more growth for the future I potentially you know, want needs more leadership management, people management um, and kind of strategic thinking, understanding and development. You mentioned right at the start, people, well, a little bit ago, people, power and politics. And not to say there's a link here, but people will think, Head of performance at Aston Villa, head of performance at a Premier League club. You go in there, boom, it's just onwards and upwards. And obviously you've mentioned the reality, which is the volatility, the pressure that comes with that. You're obviously the manager's guy. So if it goes well, there's obviously, the, like you said, there's the perks. But if it doesn't go well, there's the inevitable of, of what happens. Was there anything that surprised you going into that role as head of performance at Villa? that you maybe weren't expecting. I know he's mentioned about things you weren't prepared for, but any surprises of how it, not how it played out, but just that initial, ooh, didn't realise it'd be kind of like this, or I didn't have to be dealing with this. Um, yeah, yeah, there, there probably was. Um, I think you're going into a Premier League club, so you've obviously got good infrastructure. You know, there's there's good people there, but I'd, I'd imagine for them, it was the first time that they've had to work in a while, at least that they've had to work with a manager's man. Um, and then I think the uniqueness of of this situation was it was a manager's man and and it's English staff. There isn't a lot of English managers in the Premier League, and then, um. You know, maybe they don't necessarily have the support staff that, that Stephen had. It was almost like a foreign staff who can who were from England and speak English. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the you know, it was it is probably quite rare. So there was probably a little bit of uniqueness there. Um, 
So yeah, there's, there's, like I say, there's different challenges to to every role, but there was there, there were certainly surprises. Yeah, you know, without going into too much detail, yeah, there was definitely surprises. But you try and navigate them the best you can, and ultimately, we're all there for for the team to be successful. That's you know, that's that's what everyone's going into work for. I believe every day is to to help contribute to to make the team perform as best as you can. People have different views on on how to achieve that, um, and with you know even within the same sector, they'll probably all have different biases at any given moment of what we should and shouldn't do in certain situations. My role was to try and take away the, you know, the try and get everyone to work as cohesively as possible, which is not always easy in a football club when you haven't built relationships. Um, but get to that point. And get to the point where everyone feels valued and everyone's contributing, but also understand that you know we can have disagreements. We can not always agree with each other, but we'll come to a decision and we'll walk out of that room and we're living by that decision. And no matter what goes wrong, we're we're all together on that. And and I was, I tried to put myself at the front of, of you know, let's go with this decision. Let's make sure we're all on board. Um, and you know, and and if it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't work out, you know, we've we're in a high performance environment. Our job is to, you know, be high performers, and sometimes that involves taking calculated risks. But you know, as long as we feel like there's there's enough information to support why we're making those decisions um, in that particular manner, if it goes wrong, you know. It's gone wrong together, not as not as an individual. No one will be pointed out. I think it's really important to make sure that people understand that. You know, we'll have good times and bad times, but uh, at no point should we, you know, point any fingers at anyone in particular. As long as we're all together and we all work as one, I think it's really important. But I'm not saying it wasn't like that at Villa, but it can be challenging to to achieve that in in football clubs. Um, and maybe the volatility of the sport contributes to that potentially. And then, unfortunately, things didn't go as well as you wanted at Villa, and you guys, you guys left the club. And it's one thing that I haven't. Well, I think I spoke to one person about it, maybe, but everyone realizes that there's this kind of there is the volatility, this this undertone of you're always everyone's going to get sacked at some point. So I'd like to ask you about your experiences of going through that, if that's all right, if that's not too much of a personal insight. Is that all right? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Look, like I said earlier on, I think when you make the decision to work with a manager, then you accept that you know, there's, there's good times and there's bad times. Unless you're Pep Guardiola, <laughs> there's very... <laughs> You know, it's it's um yeah, I think everyone's gonna experience it at some point, you know. So twelve months before leaving Villa, we you know, we we left Rangers to you know, on the back of perceived or team success. And as a consequence of that got an opportunity to, to move to Villa and and work in the Premier League again. Um, you know, that was deemed to not be be enough twelve months later and, and then you lose your job. Um, but you know, you, I accept that. You know, I don't. Um, you know, it, it can be a little bit stressful at times, but it's you know that that's that's what I chose to do. So, if you know, if I don't want to do that, I've got the freedom to you know 
go and try and you know be a club appointment somewhere and uh, or find a new industry a new sector but this is what I love doing um and I've committed to you know to, to doing what I'm doing and for as long as you know Stephen wants me to work with him or for as long as he wants to be a manager then I'll probably continue to do that um and, and we'll see where that takes us but it's not nice it's it, it's certainly not nice but it's also not shouldn't always be a reflection of your own performance and I, I remember um I remember someone saying saying something along those lines to me you know like if you work in, in the sport long, long enough you know you're likely to use your job but lose your job but it's not always a reflection of your competence you know you know I've seen people good good staff who who have been moved on at other clubs um because the manager's bringing in an individual that that clashes with them you know whether that be analyst whether it be a physio whether it be a fitness coach and you know they were club appointments and they were removed from their role because the manager had someone else to do their their job now they'd done a really good job prior to that they weren't getting sat they weren't getting released because of their competence they were just getting released because that's the industry rightly or wrongly maybe we need better protection around contracts of of you know um you know payoffs or whatever you want to call it you know um severance packages you know three months seems a bit unfair really you know you could give years to a club and and, and you get what three months i mean it's you know for for, for what because someone some person's bringing in someone who, who performs your role um and i was always mindful of that you know particularly at rangers because i'd seen that happen at other clubs and the last thing i wanted was to to move people out of roles you know particularly when they're from the area when they you know supporters of the club and stuff like that i think it's you've got to give people a chance and you've got to find roles and adapt and there's enough opportunity in football clubs to to manipulate roles and find opportunities to, to not have to do that sometimes, I think. Um, and, and respect that they'll probably be there long after you're gone, you know, and I think that's that always stuck in my mind to some extent because I'd seen it happen to other people and probably felt at different moments during my career at Liverpool like that could happen to me just through managers changing, you, you know how it is. But um, yeah, I had a being really upset that that happened to me so maybe that's just the human and the the soft the soft side of me kicking in but I think it's you know I also think it's important as well having gone through what you've been through with Villa looking back to your time at Liverpool when you were a club man would you have done anything differently to protect yourself contractually then knowing what you know now yeah, probably when I was at Liverpool. Yeah, I don't think I had. Yeah, my contract was was a permanent contract, but permanent doesn't mean anything in football. You know, it, there was no release clause. There was no, um, you know, payoff or you know contractual agreement that I would have some form of protection. Um, and maybe that's just the naivety of wanting to get a job at Liverpool and then just taking what comes your way, you know, because I was young, I was, I don't know, probably about 28 at the time. So being working in football for five years, it was the the dream, you know, so I'm probably not going to re- redefine the details around, 
what happens if if they want to you know move me on for something out of my control but maybe we do need a bit of protection there i'm not sure what the right way to go about that is but whether that's you know doing your own due diligence yourself or getting solicitors and lawyers involved or maybe there should be you might know better than me maybe there's there's individuals out there through you know um you know the lma and, and these type of um uh, organizations that can provide that support potentially for for, for staff moving clubs or even current staff to, to evaluate where they're at because certainly should be a bit more protection i i feel especially if, if you're getting let go under those circumstances when it's, it's certainly not a reflection of, of you doing your job um i think there should be more support and more protection there for sure because it's look it's a difficult industry to to stay in there's, there's so many people who want to get into it and there's not enough jobs you know so it's um there's a bottleneck there and there's an overspill um and if you fall out of it, it can be quite challenging to get back in, I'd imagine, at times. Just thinking back to that time at Liverpool, would you not have, if you'd have understood, oh, I'm in a bit of a sticky spot here in case anything happens, new manager comes in, wants to get rid of me, my contract isn't as watertight as maybe I'd want it, would you have, at 28, 29, 30, would you have had the foresight and the confidence to go to a, senior member of staff and say, I want to reevaluate my contract? Or do you just think, I'm at Liverpool, I'm just going to keep my head down and do my best and hope this doesn't happen? Because I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who know the situation they're in, but maybe don't know where to go and, and maybe just keep their head down because they don't want to identify themselves as someone that, yeah, someone that wants to protect themselves. Because you know, we've all been in football clubs because that isn't, conducive sometimes to not getting a bit of shit from other members of staff or you know things can turn sour pretty quickly can't they yeah they can um look well, i think probably the, the the one person at a football club that would have that type of protection or the understanding of that protection would be the manager because you know those contracts are certainly, uh, you know, those details are discussed in terms of, you know, coming in and going out the door. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe those individuals, you know, I for one probably wouldn't have spoke to anyone initially. Um, after, you know, a couple of years in the job, with a bit more credibility under your belt almost, or you know, experience of doing a job and you know, relationships that you have, then maybe. Maybe I would have in hindsight, um, but it can certainly be, you know, something that gets overlooked and 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 even if you did then pick up on it, find it difficult to, to have those conversations. I, I probably would have found it difficult, to be honest with you. Um, I don't like having those conversations around money and security and all that, but, but the, 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 you know, they're really important. You know, some people can have them quite comfortably, others would just find it a bit of a challenge but I could imagine someone especially when you're going into a big organisation like Liverpool or one of the top Premier League clubs unless it's actually organised for you and it's done for you and the contract is set out like that before you start then um, it, you know it could be challenging and after time people are just trying to you know get that opportunity get that experience get that exposure that you know that's the side they probably don't really evaluate but maybe it's worth, you know, 
making sure that you get what you want going through and you get what you should get on the way out. That's another saying I've heard through being in these circles, you know, check your contact going in and check your contact going out because they're, you know, two important facets. I remember on that a very much lower level than, than you've been exposed to, but a particular manager going in the first meeting before signing the contracts was how much do I get paid when you sack me? And that probably is true. Maybe maybe not for a member of staff, but you're never going to be as powerful as whether whatever member of staff you are. While you know, until you sat at that negotiating table because they want you to work for them. So sort it out before you even get in the door. Is is the I suppose the key, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But look, there's there's obviously less volatility and in other roles, but they're certainly not the most secure roles in the world either. So, yeah, it's definitely worthwhile evaluating both elements of it. Do you have any experience, I know you've mentioned a few organisations there, probably for managers and whatnot with LMA, etc. Is there anyone actually acting or able to act for support staff in these kind of situations? Anything you know of, support-wise? Unfortunately, I don't. I mean, I, I I think there must be something out there, but maybe I've you know I've I've missed something and I've not or I've not needed it, you know. But if there isn't, then there's probably value in in someone you know performing that role, even if it's just through through the Premier League. You know, there's there's got to be got to be a little bit of support for support staff. Um, now someone might come on and tell us there is and that's great but I don't know of any but hopefully there is mm. right mate I'm going to let you go and get on back on with your evening but I really appreciate your insights Thank I think you. it's, it's some of these things are, are not easy to talk about certainly from you might find them easy now because you've pretty spoken to people about it but from my side it's not a particularly nice thing to talk about but it's the reality isn't it so it's good to um it's good to chat it through and hopefully will resonate with people that are unfortunately going through it or have been through it and are trying to mitigate the risk of going through it so um yeah i really appreciate it uh, thanks for having me rob it was a it was nice to talk about my experiences and hopefully um people find a little bit of value in, in what we spoke about no, thanks, mate. Not, really appreciate the, it. The voice an hour at a time. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks, mate. Speak soon. Yeah, take care. All the best, Rob. Cheers, buddy. Thanks for tuning in to episode 452 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to get Jordan on. It's been a long time coming. been pestering him while he's been in various different jobs, but a delight to actually get him on and, and chat about the realities of what it's, lo- what it's like to work at the sharp end of high-performance sport. So big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, to Play, Kitman Labs, and Team Builder for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run its current form without these guys, so I really do appreciate all their support. Big thanks to you for tuning in and look forward to chatting to you next time.